You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can smell it already. Yes. What do we have in today? Yeah, uh, today we have something delicious from the brewery. This is which brewery? Sorry, no. Now, now I don't know what you're talking about. The brewery, okay, in Placentia, <laughs> California. That is. It's like it's like who's on first, you know that kind of that kind of thing. This is true. I always wondered how if anybody would where they got how, their name. You know, I, I would granted actually, it is it's B R U E R Y. So mm-hmm. it's got a little little Belgiany like European twist to it. There. Yeah. But I don't think this beer does. It very specifically does not have a Belgian twist. No, 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 not at all. Uh, today we have Orchata from the brewery, and I'm just smelling this. It is amazing. All right, so what do we, what do we get here with, with the nose? Definitely cinnamon. I mean, uh, you and I both from California and spending a good portion of our lives in Southern California know the whole, know what horchata is going to taste like. Right. It's sort of a, a rice milk uh, spiked with sugar and cinnamon yes, for the most part. Exactly. Um, it This beer is uh, listed as a blonde ale, um, but what makes it interesting is that it does have a bit of a twist. It's brewed with rice, lactose, and it has cinnamon and vanilla added. Um, the official description coming from the brewery, they say... Uh, Horchata is a traditional sweet milky drink originating in Spain and Latin America, like you were just mentioning, um, that has become quite popular in Southern California, particularly with Mexican cuisine. Mm-hmm. It is definitely my son's favorite thing whenever we go out uh, for Mexican food. He probably likes the horchata more than the actual food. I love it when it's combined with espresso or like uh, you go to a coffee shop oh, yeah, yeah. and you'll get sort like of a horchata like latte yeah. or something. Oh, so good. Especially iced drinks. Oh, can't be beat. Yum. This is our homage to the traditionally non-alcoholic drink. Um, It's a blonde ale brewed with a heavy dosing of rice, uh, cinnamon and fresh vanilla beans, along with lactose, which Kyle loves the lactose. I do. uh, For an extra little creamy character. The ingredients meld together to create a taste and experience that hints at horchata, uh, but it's much more than that. The flavor is hard to describe, but for those who know it, you know you love it. Hmm. And this one clocks in at uh, 7.2. Yeah. And so we should say, too, we're drinking from the uh, brewery's bottle, the 750 milliliter bottle. Yes. Um, they also have this in 16 ounce cans, which look beautiful. Yes. I was I was a little, I, I saw those cans and I was like, okay, I really want to see this. And I got, I could, I, the 750 was the only thing available nearby. Yeah. So I picked it up, but I was a little, I was a little bit of a letdown. Not to say that I don't like their bottles and their labels, but that can art is so good. I, it just means that we'll have to pick it up again. That's all it means. And based, I mean, just based off of the smell right now, I would definitely do that. I haven't even tasted yet. Um, so I get a lot of, um, of reminiscent holiday smells with the cinnamon and and the sugar uh, kind of mixture. Like I keep saying this, but it smells like cookies, like a like Snickerdoodle almost. Yes, I, I get that. Um, I really like the smell of this. It's it's very very good. Yes, the color it's very clear. It's it's golden, what you'd expect from a blonde ale or mm-hmm. a gold ale. Um, it's not so blonde that it's like um, straw. Right. It's got a little more character to it. When you poured it, the head didn't. It, it dissipated pretty quickly too. That is true. Um, yes. I, which may be imparted by the lactose uh, potentially, where it just kind of really smooths out. A lot of IPAs uh, in the IPA milkshake category that we've added uh, have sort of that characteristic where you'll pour them out and it'll just 
kind of it looks dead you know it doesn't doesn't have sort of that nice foamy top that you expect and i worry when i see that honestly but i know it's not it's not necessarily a negative but there are times when i'm like wait what's going on here yeah it seems it seems like something's wrong (laughs) all right let's give it a taste that's where the foam comes out. That's yeah, it, it, it ends up being this creamy, like milky, decadent. Yeah, uh, that lactose is really you can feel it, and it, it it's almost it almost has like an effervescence, like the 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 bubbles start to come out a little bit more as you take it. Take it almost in. it almost tastes like it's on nitro with how small those bubbles get. Where it it, it is so smooth on the palate that it's it's dessert like. It's but. At the end of that, you kind of get this lingering um, earthiness from the blonde ale characteristics. Yes, I'm, I'm. I'm not getting so much like so much sweet out of it. Right. Um, it's definitely not bitter um, or anything along those lines. So I wouldn't say that it's not a dessert style beer, but it's definitely not like I, I don't want it to come across like it's just like a pure sugar drink or anything like that. Sure, sure. And it's but the other thing is it's it's not dry. It's not a dry finish. It's also not a super heavy like what you would expect from a golden stout or anything like that, where you you get like that that kind of um wanna dig in for more. I, I don't get that from this beer, honestly. Like I don't want to come back and get more on my palate it's it's a nice sipping sort of maybe it could be paired with some tacos or you know <laughs> oh yeah i could see that <laughs> something that uh that kind of helps cut the very creaminess of this beer i dig it i dig it a lot this is my second time having it at, uh, yeah you mentioned that so the first time i had it was at a uh zhao long bao uh like soup dumpling place uh, here in Anaheim that opened up over at the Packing District. 18 Folds is a name. If you've never checked out the Anaheim Packing District and you're in Southern California, go do it. Parking is terrible, but, but if you park uh, three or four blocks away and walk over, it's not that bad. Oh, wait, over in Anaheim? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I went through that area on my way to... Um it's worth bottle logic yeah and i was like wow this is like the the like hip arts district remake of downtown but in anaheim it totally is and the uh Ferk fest that's put on by oh, down there yeah oh. that's that's right there in that in that small little uh park area which is where 18 folds was built and uh and that's where i had this beer for the first time i'm so glad though that it's readily available in most of southern california now either in cans or these big bottles uh like we're drinking today yeah but uh but- it's 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 a good beer and funny stat you're you know you said this is the second time you've had this mm-hmm. i haven't had a lot of um beers from the brewery okay and i mean so they they were founded in 2008 and i want to i would actually venture to say that i have had more beers from offshoot their offshoot which has been around a year mm-hmm. than i have from the brewery proper which i find very funny and it makes sense though because i've been obviously ipa craze sure. and like i got really sucked into the fomo bandwagon um and i i always i always associated the brewery with belgiany twists and i was not really into that at the time right. but um I, sours i've had Belgian. some of their sours some of their darker beers and i've really come around so this just adds to the need to explore um their offerings a bit more yeah i've been i feel like i've been doing that uh, a bit more here uh this month uh, the Discord drinking project has moved on to wheat focused beer, so anything that's brewed specifically with wheat. That's so funny because I was gonna I was gonna try and do uh, Hefeweizen, but realized yeah. we kind of covered that a little bit already. <laughs> I wouldn't mind trying trying a Hef or um, you know some another one that's sort of on the wheat spectrum. I had a Grisette yesterday, mm-hmm. which is also brewed with wheat. It had a sort of a crackery thing going with basil, really really good. 
Um, yeah, but that's it, it. Trying to expand our palettes is is what we're trying to do here, and I think this is that, doing a great job. That checks that checks that box. Nice. Have any of you had this one? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. Now it's time for something super exciting. I think so. Yeah. I, 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 we just had a recent release of Untapped 3.3.1 uh, here back on August 7th, which was a Tuesday. So Tuesday of last week when you're hearing this uh, in your podcast player. Hopefully by now, if you are listening to this, you have upgraded. I'll know if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but we did add a lot of, um, I think, big features that some folks have been asking for. For years. For years and years. Um, and we also tried to... Uh, shift focus a bit to some international and non-English speaking users of Untapped, uh, just to improve experience and hopefully uh, make it something that uh, folks can be enjoying around the world. Uh, so I think the first thing that I want to talk about is direct messaging. Yes, I am. This was something that I have wanted to add for at least three or so years now. Yeah, well, we've had a lot of requests for it too. I think um, the fact that most folks who are enjoying beers, have their untapped friends, and then they've got their sort of, you know, at the pub friends. And they're, they're two separate groups uh, sometimes where you want to be in contact with folks that you are seeing their check-ins, but you have no way to do it outside of check-in comments. So now we've added direct messaging that you can access on the far right tab, the inbox tab. At the top right-hand corner, there is a messaging icon. When you tap there, you can start conversations with any untapped friends. It's a one-to-one -one message, so you'll want to be sending messages just from you to another friend. Yes. Uh, group messaging, we hear you. Coming, yeah. coming eventually. <laughs> um, but this will allow you to share things like beers, breweries, venues and any text that you want to with no text limit on there. So you can, you can write your friend a, uh, I don't know, uh, amusing, a, a fanfic about the latest hazy IPA, if you want, in, in untapped DMs. I absolutely love the ability to share the items, um, mm -hmm. being able to send a beer and just be like, hey, did you have this? Or being able to, um, like, hey, let's meet up at this place. I know we're going to eventually work on adding some more items in there, so it's just going to get better and better. But what we have right now makes it so handy. Yeah, and I think what makes it great, too, is that you're able to get both uh, push notifications and in-app notifications. So if you are sort of on the go and uh, you're ready to meet up at a place, but your friend's having difficulties finding it, you can, you know, just send it over to grab them. a notification and, and uh, reply back straight away. But if you're looking to manage those notifications and maybe maybe let's say you're uh, trying to be in the moment a bit, you can manage notifications by going to settings, notifications, and you can customize your experience there, either in-app, you yes. know, push, whatever you want to get. And it should be noted that um, when in a message, you do have the ability to uh, report users if somebody is sending you messages that you do not like uh, right. and are breaking some of the rules. Um, and you can also block users from within there who may be spamming you or reaching out. Um, we take messaging very seriously. Yes. We understand that especially direct messages are a very private place. So we want to make sure that we give you the tools to be able to both manage the messages that you see from people. You can delete conversations in totality and you can also manage who you send messages to by either, like Tim said, block or report the next biggest addition, I think, to 3.3.1 is language support for international versions of German, Spanish, and Portuguese. Yes, I think 
Big, long time coming. Long, biggest in terms of long time coming and the effect that it has on our users, but also biggest in the amount of time and effort put into this entire thing. Yeah. You have no idea how obnoxious it is to try and keep track of, I don't know, over 1,200 word strings yeah. and mm-hmm. get them translated and back in. Well, it, and we're looking to expand this in the future. So we know, we hear you. We know that there are languages that uh, are not supported currently by most untapped users that are in other languages. So we want to make sure that that we're taking that feedback seriously and that we will be adding the languages that you suggest in the future. We've laid the groundwork here and can expand upon it fairly easily as we go. We're also looking for feedback. So if you do speak one of these languages and your device is in this language, we're looking to make sure that uh, these strings are making sense. You know, that they are, if you're listening to this podcast in English, you know, and your device is in another language. Maybe we're not speaking directly to you, but um, <laughs> we're looking for feedback. If you do speak one of these languages and your device is in that language, yes. uh, we'd love to hear about it. And in case we didn't say, um, the language of your device is the language in which Untapped will be translated to if it is in one of these three supported languages. Um, and you can, if you wish to continue using the app in English for some reason, um, but you know, have your default phone settings set to another language. You can go into the settings um, and you can turn off the automatic adjustment. Right. So that would be settings, general localization. You can switch that on and off. Um, We also added support for translating check-in comments that are in other languages. So if you have friends in other countries or follow people in other countries um, and their check-ins are, say, in another language, and we added a little translate button similar to like what Instagram or Facebook do now, and that goes off and gets machine translated. So that's not done by hand. So, you know, the accuracy is pretty solid. It's iffy. um, But, you know, you get what you get with a machine translated. But it gives you an idea of what they're saying, which I think is very cool because I follow and friends with a bunch of people, many of of which are international. So now I can get an idea of what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's helpful too, uh, especially when we're traveling internationally and uh, you're trying to make friends with folks and and tell them what we do. Uh, It it makes it a lot easier to communicate and, uh, and, you know, check back in on, on friends you've made maybe internationally. One of the other big additions, I think uh, to the overall experience of signing into the app was the inclusion of support for iOS face ID and touch ID and Android fingerprint. So you'll get prompted in the app on update, uh, whether or not you want to use that to sign into the app and we'll tie it then to your account in perpetuity. But if you want to use this option to sign in, uh, if you haven't enabled it, you can go into settings and general and enable it from there. I've started using um, Touch ID more with, uh, I didn't use it for a long time and I started using it um, in the last like six months or so um, with so more convenient. apps they use. Yeah, yep. it's very much so. I've wanted, <laughs> so we're we're on, uh, I think 2015 MacBooks here. The latest MacBooks with oh, Touch ID support. It? Oh my goodness. I, I I feel so out of the loop right now. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, and all obviously all of iOS, Face ID, Touch ID, Android fingerprint is all secure and we don't see any of that information. It is only tied to your account to be able to sign in. Another little handy addition that we made um, are little activity type indicators on the notification screens. So if you head over to the notifications where you see where people commented, tagged, or toasted, um, you know, it, it sometimes it gets to be a little bit of a jumble, and you have to look for small keywords to know what the activity is. So now on the left-hand side where the icon or group of icons um, or you'll get a little indicator that'll let you know whether it's a comment, um, a tag slash mention, 
um, a toast or a promotion that you've unlocked, which I think is really handy. I like that a lot. Yeah, it makes it easy to scan. And uh, if you're getting a whole bunch of toasts, it's really easy to recognize what what's happening and take action on those notifications. Yep. Um, we also made a few improvements. Um, speaking of the notifications tab, we did a little bit of um, cleanup there, some unification of the styles to just make everything feel like it all belongs there nicely. Yeah. Yeah, we also added the ability to find beer and event maps. We, so we moved over to something called Mapbox for those. Um, Google Maps had changed a little bit of their pricing structure, and so we wanted to move on to something that was exactly what we were doing presently um, with our maps. So this latest version changes those Google Maps into what we call Mapbox Maps. It's it's more of a back-end thing, something that shouldn't you know change experience for most folks, but if it does, please be sure to let us know. Yep. And then um, another thing to help out with uh, decreasing any sort of um, inappropriate behavior, we added uh, the ability to flag comments within check-ins. So you get the thread of comments at the bottom of check-ins. There's a nice little flag there. So if there's an issue that you wish to report, feel free to use that and we'll take a look. We also added the ability to report inaccurate menus at some venues. So if you go to a venue and they have a beer that is listed there but it is not actually at that particular venue you can send us a, a small little report that just flags that in our system so that we can take a look at it yep and i did see somebody asking about this on our subreddit reddit um, slash r slash untapped um, they were asking about you know what should i do how should reporting work like i don't want to bombard a venue with a bunch of reports or like spam anyone so just as a little bit of a technical side those reports do come to us and we will take a look at them and we will take the appropriate action from that point they do not go directly to the venue so um so no worries there yeah. it's 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 not going to spam the venue and it's not going to spam us we will investigate further and and see if if any action whether uh helpful or tutorialized or uh you know reporting action needs to be taken and if the beer that you're looking for isn't there go to the similar beer recommendations in the app and find something that they do have yeah because there's so much good beer just try something different <laughs> that's i think that's what we're learning here is just try try a different beer why not right it's a really big release. I'm very excited. I've already I've already used um, direct messages, and I, it's fun being able to talk to friends. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to the improvements that we're going to make there. Um, but for the starting out, I mean, it's really cool being able, like I said, to send to send the beers to people. I, like the other day when we were trying to figure out, hey, what should we have for the show? We went downstairs, like, what about this one? What about this one? And instead of having to write out, like, oh, it's a Cascadian Dark Ale and it's eight percent and blah blah blah, I could send you the card. You literally can see all the information there, yeah. or tap through and read the description. I mean, it's. it's I can so see whether helpful. I've had it or not. It's. I. It, yeah. I think it's a great addition, and it makes it so much easier to communicate about beer inside of my beer app of choice exactly if you have any issues or you have any suggestions for improvements to any of these features that we mentioned today be sure to go to help.untapped.com and send us a message or you can always reach out on social that's twitter facebook instagram we are at untapped want to show off your love of untapped Check out our online store and pick up untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off.
All right, let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's feature beer style. Here's Tim with more. This week we're tying it together. We will be looking at the blonde ale. All well, right. Our blonde ale here is a little little uh, special with some spices and lactose. Yeah. Um, it does, you know, have that still that core um, flavor profile and um, mild bitter that you would expect. But what is sort of your, you know, exact blonde ale how how did it come to be what's what's the history well we'll get into that really quick because when discussing the history of the blonde there are three main areas to cover the british blonde the north american blonde and the belgian blonde first let's start off with the british blonde um, according to an article that I found on allaboutbeer.com, uh, the British Blonde was pioneered by Somerset Brewery in 1986. I did find some conflicting reports on Wikipedia saying that the origins are actually from Hopback Brewery and their award-winning beer, Summer Lightning, which uh, was actually classified, I believe, as a summer ale, which is just kind of a derivative or an alternative naming for blonde ale. Hmm. Okay. Uh, that Summer Lightning is actually still being brewed today, which I found very cool. Yeah. When we're talking about history and craft beer, I mean, it's American beers, especially that's kind of about as far back as we go. Yes, this is true. In the eighties, when, um, when craft brewing actually kind of started found to its really legs take off. and took yeah. off. Yeah. Either way, whichever brewery started it, it, it started in the mid to late eighties. And shortly after that, the style really exploded amongst craft brewers. Um, it's thought that the style was really developed as a response to the popularity of mass marketed yellow lager and, was an effort to regain the market share, which, I mean, that's kind of what the whole craft movement really was at the time. Um, Prohibition had kicked in, and then a lot of rules and laws really um, stomped out any sort of small-time brewing and mass-marketed, you know, fizzy yellow lager, as Stone liked to refer to it, um, was really all that was available. So you got to get your... And that's what people were used to, so you got to really get your foot in there and try and get people. So Blonde Ales gave craft brewers a product that pubs could offer as an alternative to lager. It was basically the same color, but tastier. (laughs) And probably a little bit higher ABV, at least looking through my history of uh, Blonde Ales, I have anywhere between 4% and 7.5% probably is is the highest that that goes. That sounds about right. Um, Bramling's Cross, Challenger, um, Fogel, Golding varieties, and um, Target are the most popular kettle, aromatic, and dry hops used for mm. the British Blonde. Um, and surprisingly, uh, various North American hops are actually used, such as Cascade, Liberty, uh, Mount Hood, uh, Willamette. And um, they also use some noble German hops, um, which I'm going to butcher. Um, Hollertar. Tar, har, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to get beeped this week, I've, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I've, I've said Hollertau. Uh, yeah, that would in, make sense. But that's probably not it. And Herzbrucker. Okay. That one sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, they're, they're used in some instances as well. Hmm. Um, most brewers prefer to use Maris Otter Ha or Malt. Sorry. Um, and several brands add a small amount of wheat malt uh, to aid in head retention and kind of increase the liveliness on the tongue, similar to what we were talking about, um, how the bubbles, granted this one is rice and not wheat added in here, but, you know, the bubbles kind of fizz on the tongue and yeah. you a little extra, a little something. Yeah, whatever is not uh, imparted into the head in the glass then kind of starts to come out when it's interacting, you know, with your tongue and sort of the amylase and stuff going on in there. Uh, the next one we'll cover here really quick is the North American Blonde. Um, this style, it's very similar to the British version, except for a few key differences. Um, North American grains and hops are primarily used, um, only with the occasional imported ingredients. 
Uh, yeast strains used may be American or British, and the alcohol content is lower than the British counterparts. Interesting. Huh. That's not at all what I would have expected. I mean, I'm sure it's all over the place in terms of where, you know, uh, where they actually end up. But for the most part, um, kind of when starting off, a lot of these, the American blondes were a bit lighter. Hmm. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, you'll often find the style referred to as a summer ale in brew pubs, um, something light, refreshing, um, crisp. And then, you know, while, while the craft beer movement has helped expand the palates of many North American beer drinkers, most really still just drink mass-marketed lagers. I mean, th- we see that. Like, the craft beer market is growing and starting to overtake, but you, if you think about it, a lot of people still, they stick to what they know, which is that mass-marketed beer. Um, which, I mean, if you like, then that's your thing, no problem. But, you know, if you're looking for an alternative, this uh, the, the blonde ale is a really good starting point, way to kind of work your way into it. Because it's going to be similar enough to what you already have, but different enough to kind of give you this, like, hmm, maybe I should keep going this direction, you know? Yeah, yeah. If you like whatever flavors are uh, enhanced in, in a blonde ale versus, like, a let's say, a lager or whatever, yeah. um, based on its its method of creation you know it's it that it is pretty easy to find especially like a summer ale during this time of year where at least in the northern hemisphere you can pick up a 12 pack of Ewington's summer on or whatever it's called um where it is just super light and crisp and exactly what you need on a hot day and similar to um similar to the british breweries uh you know in an attempt to have something really anything to serve to this type of customer that really um, was just enjoying the mass market beer. Craft brewers deliberately produced golden and blonde ales as a substitute for standard lagers. Um, some brewers really kind of seized the opportunity, attempting to produce ale equivalents of European pilsners or German hells lagers, really to get that like that flavor and that hoppiness, and um, just really try and play with it in that whole like um, craft mentality. And while others really they just wanted to produce something close to standard yellow lagers, so that they could just you know, get customers in the door and kind of expanding from there. Um, Belgian blondes, unlike British and North American blondes, um, they're strongly alcoholic. Um, they range from 5% to 15%, often possessing like a, a wondrous aromatics, full bodied and, you know, plenty of palate pleasing flavor characters. Um, and they're, they're often made with um, Pilsner malt, which I thought was also interesting. Hmm. Um, but they're, there's uh, a lot more to this specific genre, the whole like Belgian blondes, Belgian golden ales. So I thought we'd save some of that more for another show just to dig deeper into that, that category. Yeah. We do differentiate too, between the um, like regular blonde ale, let's say, and the Belgian blonde in our style guidelines. And as far as kind of the technical description of the style, it's, uh, it's really considered like a dry, light to medium bodied um, beer with a light malty sweetness, which I think, you know, we're kind of seeing here. You're getting a little bit of malts. It's got the light sweetness. It still has that crisp sort of um, low to medium hop bitterness. Um, Obviously, the aroma on this one's high because of the additions of the vanilla and the cinnamon. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually it has kind of a a low to medium bitterness and um, kind of minimal aroma. They, have, they tend to have um, slight fruity flavors, um, and they're light yellow to golden blonde in color uh, with no haze to them at all. The carbonation ranges from medium to high, which you know we're kind of seeing there with the bubbles and that, that fizziness that gets added after you actually start taking a sip. 
And they really, they kind of really approximate what a logger is overall in like the character. Hence the reason they make a good alternative and a good starting place for someone trying to get away from mass logger into craft something. Sure. And I, I think from most of the ones that I've had, it's kind of like you, you aren't going to um, do a fruited logger, right? You're, you're, you're going to maybe do a fruited Blondale. Yes. Like that, that tends to be, you can kind of experiment a little bit more with the Blondale than you can with that, you know, any other style like that. And what I did learn is that um, blonde and golden can be interchanged, mm-hmm. um, kind of falls. They're just two different ways to kind of refer to the same, same beer. Speaking of Blondales I've had, uh, and especially ones that are fruited, I had one from the brewery, again, the same one that we're having today, Shake This Watermelon Smoothie. So it was another one of those, like, with lactose uh, Blondales that they do, uh, hibiscus, watermelon, vanilla, on nitro. Oh, whoa. I was doing something, I was going to look mine up, and I just heard watermelon hibiscus. Can you back that up one sec? Blonde ale. Yes. With watermelon. Yes. Vanilla. Yes. And hibiscus. Yes. On nitro. All the yes. Right? Oh, man. Doesn't that sound great? That um, sounds really good. I believe they do this for a number of different fruits as well, but this was one that I, uh, that I had last year that I really enjoyed. You know, as this is interesting, uh, it's probably one of the higher styles that I've had second to probably IPA. Yeah, same in here. Pr- IPA X, let's right. just say. <laughs> Yeah, not gonna get not gonna get anything from folks saying that we haven't tried one of these before. That's for sure. <laughs> I, the, don't, uh, I don't. I don't see anything particularly um, unique. Unique. Yeah, this is there. Here's one in here that's really taking me back. Cisco Canyon Blonde Ale from the Wellhead Restaurant and Brew Pub. Um, this is a brew pub in um, Artesia, New Mexico. Okay. Um, we were on my my wife and I were on our way to South by Southwest many many years ago, and we were we were, we drove from Los Angeles to Austin mm-hmm. and decided to stop at several places along the way. And we're rolling through New Mexico, trying to find somewhere to stop and like have lunch slash you know check out anything relating to beer. And we found this place, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. We're gonna have a flight in this tiny little town, like a one main street town. And I go to check in, and it's like this doesn't exist. It was, a, it was the first time since we had started that I had stumbled across a brewery that had not actually made it into untapped yet. Wow. So you just went through the app and it, it just, created, yeah, the, just added the it like you would, beers, yeah. but it was, that was just like mind blowing to stumble across one. <laughs> and I mean it to say that I've had three beers from this place mm. and they have a total unique checking count of only 342. <laughs> So small, I mean, like small, small town. Yeah, tiny. But it's, but it's to say, like this style then has really kind of permeated the beer scene in America, especially where you can get a blonde ale kind of anywhere. Yeah, I mean, really anywhere. I think one of the more unique ones that I've had is uh, by Sweetwater Brewing Company, uh, and it's a collaboration, I believe, with Telluride uh, Brewing Company. But it is the Torikumi dank tank oh (laughs) it is a wasabi blonde ale made with i believe ginger and oats that sounds interesting so i in the past i have paired it with uh sushi which makes sense yeah wasabi come on i also made a uh, homemade japanese curry at home and this with just like a hot rice ended up tasting spectacular not 
really spicy. I, I expected more wasabi than I got from it, mm-hmm. but it was still one of the most unique uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, on, on the level of um, the dill pickle goza, like surprise that it even tastes anywhere near palatable at all. It just goes to show also that it is a flexible style as well. It really is. I mean, you can kind of do whatever with it. Um, I have, I, again, I have a number of different check-ins. Fruit, wasabi, uh, cinnamon, and vanilla. Firestone's 805 is a really, That's really a nice, popular yeah. um, Southern California one. Honey tends to be one that I have a lot of here oh, as yes, well. Oh, yes, Honey Blonde. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've seen that many times. That's That imparts, that imparts a nicer, like a sweet, um, kind of a sweet upfront um flavor golden ale with finger limes finger limes yeah i don't even know what that is <laughs> <laughs> lemon seems to be one um god there's only 81 stone 19th anniversary yeah um i think one of the the best examples of the style that i have enjoyed the most i would say is by brewery rex uh, from down here in uh, Los Angeles. They make a hoppy Belgian golden ale, dry hopped with Amarillo, Centennial, and Motuka. Motuka. Yeah. Real good. That sounds really tasty. Yeah, the addition the addition of hops and dry hopped. Yeah, dry uh, dry hopped blonde. Dry hopped blonde oh, ale blonde, yeah. is super good. I, I really, really like that style. Alright, let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. I am actually pretty excited for some of these articles. There are a few um, less newsy, more uh, more people pieces. Okay. Uh, and I thought they were really interesting. Um, so, you know, let's run through them. Like highlight, highlighting uh, the people in beer? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Interesting things going on in that world. Um, our first article here comes from craftbeer.com. Uh, in honor of NASA's launch of the Parker Solar Probe, Crystal Lake Brewing releases Parker Solar Pale Ale. Now, while most news is about beer releases, and we don't tend to cover that, um, because you know, it's just like, oh, this brewery is releasing this beer, we would, and this we brewery would be, announced their lineup. That's all that this podcast would be. I, I'm covering this one because I love the backstory after I read this article, and I thought it was really, really cool. All right. So, uh, Parker Solar Pale Ale is the latest pilot batch beer introduced in the Crystal Lake Brewing Taproom. This beer was suggested by and co-brewed with a couple of taproom regulars, Eric Parker and Greg Glover. Uh, this new beer is crisp, refreshing, made with, you you guessed it, what kind of hops? Galaxy hops. I love when people do that sort of play on things, mm-hmm. too. Yep. Um, what is particularly notable about this batch is its namesake, um, Dr. Eugene Parker and NASA's latest mission, the Parker Solar Probe. Huh. So you can kind of make a connection here. Um, in 1958, University of Chicago physicist Eugene Parker published his pioneering paper theorizing the existence of solar winds. Um, his lifetime of work is now being recognized by NASA with the launch of a probe that will pass far closer to the sun than any other previous man-made object and seek to answer questions about the nature of our solar system. Wow. Who doesn't love space stuff, too? I mean, it's great. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is actually the first time that NASA has launched a vehicle that has been named after a living person. Uh, There's a good quote here. Um, I always had a feeling that Dad was good at his job, but as a kid, none of my friends had dads whose title was scientist, and I really had no frame of reference. Uh, Remembers Eric Parker, who, if you'll remember, is one of the people who suggested that they do this beer. Huh. So you see this tie-in here. Wow. Uh, It wasn't until later that I realized how groundbreaking his actual work was. 
So the son of this gentleman is a person who frequents the brewery and suggested that they do this. It's kind of a fun little tale there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like that. Um, that this living person especially is being honored both by NASA and, you know, by something that kind of means something to the family, right? This is true. Uh, earlier this year, Eric Parker, Eugene's son, which we've established now, and friend um, Greg Glover excitedly described the project to the co-founder of Crystal Lake Brewing, uh, John O'Fallon, who found the mission as well as the personal local connection fascinating, which I'm finding extremely fascinating. I'm not even a local there. <laughs> Uh, Greg initiated the project, and along with brewmaster Ryan Clooney, uh, they put together a plan to brew a beer in honor of the occasion and the man for which it is named. It's, it's pretty cool. It's it's a really good story. Um, I, I mean, anything, honestly, anything with space and beer, I'm sold right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 91, Dr. Parker is fascinating, said uh, O'Fallon. Uh, hearing the man talk about his work and the solar probe mission was nothing short of inspirational, but he was equally interested in discussing the brewing process and the science of producing beer. It was an honor to have him here and to be able to spend time with him. As you do. I mean, there's plenty of chemistry and physics involved in the whole brewing process. It's got to be fascinating, especially, I mean, you're dealing with the same kind of stuff. Not to say a, a brewery is a clean room for, you know, working on uh, are you, are you, satellites. Are you, are you trying to parallel the, the development and production of a space probe to brewing a beer? Millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I just, I have friends who are kind of in this field, um, launching rockets, launching probes. This one in particular, though, there have been um, articles written about it recently, and it's basically like they're trying to touch the sun. And it's it, it, it if you see anything about it um, other than this beer, be sure to read more about it and, and check it out, because I think it's it's an interesting thing that they're trying to do both with this beer and with the probe. Our next article comes from theweek.com, the collectors embracing the history of old beer cans. This was a, this was pretty fun because I um, I have a poster in my dining room that is uh, we've mentioned this before. It's pretty big. I don't know the exact proportions, but uh all white and just some really awesome photos of um, old school beer cans just on this white backdrop. Mm -hmm. I love to look at it. And I mean, these aren't perfect cans. They're rusted. They're a little distressed, but it's so cool looking back and seeing, you know, the, the styles and the design and really getting some inspiration from that. I love looking at cans uh, anytime before like 1995 where it wasn't the patented wide mouth can that every single uh, brand uses these days, not for beer, obviously, but for, for any can uh, it's, it's like the pre surge days, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. like, you're not supposed to get that much liquid into your mouth at once. So <laughs> here's a small little uh, hole for, for that liquid to pour out of. It's, Obviously, not anywhere near like the church key uh, style met, you know method of. I was just thinking about that. Beer, the, the, but do you remember when um, when church key brewing uh, was started in San Francisco? Was it Adrian Grenier? Yeah, Grenier? Ship, shipping out those uh, actual church key openers yeah. <laughs> so that folks because you don't have them anymore, right? Yeah. That's that's how you used to open up open up cans, but uh, but not these days. It's, no, it's all pop tops. But there are still people who are keeping um, keeping this whole vintage can thing alive. Mm -hmm. um, the author of this article opens with a really great story that I'm just going to go for here. Um, 
and this is from her perspective, you know, I'm on a hike with my husband along the CNO canal in Washington, DC, when he leaps off the path, slides down an incline and begins digging through the dark, wet leaves near the water's edge. As oncoming hikers approach, he surfaces with a rusty can, dirt clinging to its sides. Black label, about 1965, he exclaims, walking up the path from the muck. The hikers pass and I cringe and avoid eye contact. <laughs> The can has ants on it, I say. It's coming in the car with us? Of course. Inside a Ziploc bag, ants crawl in and out of the holes of the old can. That black label specimen will become his gateway beer can to reclaiming 1,000 cans from storage and giving back into the weird world. Oh, and diving back into the weird world of beer can collector conventions. There are, con- there are whole conventions they're, for this. They're not just conventions. They're conventions. Oh, boy. That's on. Right. You should like that one. That's I, on par with I you. love that one. Uh, I'm I'm imagining like a. Uh, Let's see if you're right. I know you haven't read this. I'm I'm imagining like one of those auctioneer slash you you walk. What's the name of that show on PBS? Uh, the road show. Yeah, uh, antique road an, show. I'm imagining an antiques road show style interaction where you bring a bunch of beer cans as described here in a ziploc bag uh maybe still with ants why not maybe it adds value uh to (laughs) makes it look like a crime scene investigation almost there on antiques roadshow that's probably not what they're doing at the convention excuse me at the convention but you know maybe i don't what would this be worth other than obviously nostalgia, right? Yeah, and you know that's a good price. Um, I didn't, I didn't pull over any like pricing things relating to this, but just the whole idea of collecting and trading is a big part of it. So, um, as we just mentioned, across in hotels across America, collectors meet up at what we what are called conventions to trade, sell, and buy cans. There's actually the brewery, uh, the uh, Brewery Collectors Club of America, the BCCA. Um, is one of the main membership organizations for Bruyana Collectibles. Consists of 100 chapters with members in all 50 states and 27 other countries. Hmm. And at one point in the 1970s, the BCCA claimed 12,000 members. So this has been going on for quite a while. Oh, yes. Huh. Definitely. Um, as <laughs> you know, here's the, It's not quite Antique Roadshow, but um, as collectors arrive at hotel rooms, what they tend to do is they, they meet up at hotels, um, and they spread items that are for sale across the room on beds, on TV stands, on desks and windowsills. And then others will just walk around the hotel looking in, going into the rooms as like just little side shows to go and see what's there and what they want to maybe buy, trade, mm-hmm. sell. That's incredible. I, I love this type of it's obviously a collecting subculture that is very specific, but has such a following that more than more than a couple folks can get together at any one time in a same location and be able to like all do that together. I love that idea. Yep, they do have a main show um, at these often that like uh, you know on a show floor and it's usually open on like Saturday morning. But Thursday and Friday, it's all about trading room to room. I would. Oh my goodness! And collectors I, basically they stroll by looking for open doors. Yeah. And anything they need to add to their collections. I would fear leaving one 
like, oh no, I left out, I left my prized uh, black label in a kitchen sink or something, or <laughs> or in the coffee maker, How, or like, comes through with a big recycling bin. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> now the thing is with these cans, though, thankfully they're probably empty for the most part, and that's not a whole lot that you have to to schlep around. You know, you yeah. can, you can <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can put them all in a Pelican case, uh, and it's pretty light. It's like so, so you're bringing how how much that looks like weighs a lot. Oh no, it's just empty cans. It's just <laughs> a bunch of aluminum. <laughs> I kept the uh, I kept the discussion on this one a little short. I highly recommend going to this article, which will be in the show notes and reading through it because they do have some firsthand um, accounts from various people who participate in this. One man who I think has been doing it for like thirty or forty years. This is a YouTube rabbit hole that I would not mind going down because <laughs> I know the minute I start watching something like this that maybe highlights a particular person that does this or, you know, is, is about the, the subculture, I dig deep, 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 deep. Yeah. I'm, I'm not coming out of that. Our next article here comes from Atlas Obscura and it's drink up at the home museum displaying over 10,000 beer steins got to be in a place in the world that doesn't get earthquakes because the moment that that happens the big one hits that's it it's all on the ground i've had it happen to my tasters my my you need my, to use some earthquake putty uh to to i guess glue my tasters to the ground yeah i mean i could growlers i lost so much yeah in uh, like a very small earthquake a couple of years ago, but whew, right out, right out of a closed cabinet, just gone. That is scary. It's bad. But tell me about the beer steins. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, again, this is an interesting piece. Uh, it's, it's a lot about um, this little homemade museum and the person who is running it. Uh, the article basically talks about uh, how it is swelter. It is a sweltering July morning, and Stein collector extraordinaire George Adams is enjoying a glass of Yingling from the kegerator. Uh, sitting at the workbench of his home museum, Steins Unlimited in Pamplin, Virginia. So you're right, no earthquakes usually. Uh, the 79-year-old attempts to match a nice, somewhat rare 18th-century earthenware Stein with a period-correct pewter top. People will collect anything. Adams has been stockpiling beer vessels for more than 50 years, an obsession that dates to early childhood. Um, I love the origin story here. My grandfather was a first-generation immigrant from Germany, uh, says Adams, and brought a lot of old-world traditions over with him. Um, in Adams' childhood home, a hand-carved wooden cup with a handle and top hung above the mantelpiece. And when his mother explained that the object had belonged to his great-grandfather and was a stein, it took um, kind of a mythological significance to him. Almost like a Frankenstein, if you would. <laughs> I guess it would be Frankenstein's Stein at that point, because the monster is the... Anyway, yeah. I don't want to well actually your, your <laughs> Stein uh, facts here, but, you know. Stop, stop Steinfilling me. Mm, okay. All right. <laughs> you win this one. Uh, that word was so odd, it fascinated me. I, I started to imagine where this Stein thing came from and what kind of world it had been a part of. You know, putting that childhood, like, mythological idea behind something you don't quite understand. And sometimes they can be huge, too. So if you actually see one, it seems like this is... Like, why can't I just have coffee out of that? Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's true. So this I find fascinating. Um, the distinctive lid on Steins, you know, you get a mug, you've got the lid. It was originally added to prevent, what do you think? Oxygenation, usually. That's, that's what, or to keep flies out. Or, or oh, I don't know, I have, I'm coming up with theories here. 
Uh, I'm thinking like more Red Wedding and less like... <laughs> I don't know. It, they were originally added to prevent the plague. Hmm. Yeah. After the Black Death killed more than 25 million people in the 1300s, Europeans who believed dirtiness had been... Who had given rise to the plague sought ways to be more cleanly. So put a cap on it, I guess. Exactly. So when huh. you were partially right, so I'll give you this. When hordes of little flies invaded Central Europe in the early 1400s, um, principalities in what is now Germany passed laws requiring that all food and beverage containers be covered. So the common mug soon had a hinge lid and a sublet uh, and a thumb lift. Excuse me. Hmm. Interesting. So flies, guess- flies carry dirt. Yeah. Dirt carries the plague. Keep flies out of beer. Put a lid on it. And, and now we have a law for it. Yes. That's, that's pretty great. Now, come back to today. Let's fast forward to today. That's kind of outside of like sippy cups. That's the only thing that kind of has like a flip, flip top lid, right? Yeah, something that fully closes. I yeah, mean, other and than- fully opens. That's, that's the other thing. So yes. it's like nothing else has survived from that time. Super interesting. Yeah. Um, As average consumption rose to about two liters per person per day, taverns and beer houses really, they kind of started to proliferate um, around this time. And then in the 1500s, everyone in Germany needed a personal drinking vessel to be proud of. Um, Steins were really transformed into a status symbol. And then competition arose among manufacturers um, to just create very unique things with uh, Renaissance artists um, supplying designs. Wow. Yeah, the tankers were soon decorated with family crests and historical, um, allegorical, and biblical scenes, all colored and glazed and just done upright. That's really cool. I've always seen from afar, you know, like you go to a mug club, right? Or you see the steins on the wall. It, they may not have the the flip tops on them, but it's, you know, that's my mug. When I come to this bar, that's mine. I love the thought of that. I've never been a part of something like that, but that's, I like the idea of it. Yeah. I, I haven't either, but it's, it's, it's cool to think like, oh, I'm going to go in and, you know, my, my cup is hanging up there and I'm going to grab it and get a beer. I think that's got some really cool pride going plus, to art. Plus no plague. Yeah. Well, only if it has a lid. True. It's true. <laughs> um, in 1980, Adams actually attended his first event as a vendor, um, and selling really provided a thrill and an excuse to buy more of these um, these steins. And by the mid 80s, uh, he purchased a trailer and was regularly showcasing up to 700 antique and specialty steins. And despite working full time, he attended 20 expos a year. And he would basically unload 20 to 30 steins at each of these expos and grows 25,000 a year. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot heavier than an aluminum can, but that still sounds spectacular to just see the sheer number that, that he probably goes through. In the early 90s, um, Adams actually, he, he quit his, or he took a leave of absence from his job to travel to Germany where he apprenticed to learn the art of crafting pewter tops. Now that is dedication to your hobby. It, it really is. I mean, it, we don't deal with plague today, but the, it's still, like you said, um, it's it's almost pride in both the craft, craftsmanship of it and also like the ownership of one of these things. You want to make sure that it's kind of true to the the whole uh, history of the Stein. In about 2009, Adams, uh, due to some health concerns, had to kind of park his operation and just couldn't do the traveling anymore. Um, and by this time he'd really, he'd accumulated 9,000 rare and historically significant steins. Like, can you even imagine? No, I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, it's 
just thinking about the amount of space that that nine thousand of those could take up is <laughs> right. is just mind blowing. Uh, seeking a way to give the public access to his collection and his knowledge, he founded Steins Unlimited. Um, it's an unconventional museum. It's located just off U.S. Highway 460 in Pamplin, Virginia, um, on the periphery of a tiny 200-person town. Um, it's essentially in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And the bulk of the collection is housed in t- a two-room shed um, in his backyard, and prized artifacts are displayed in his five-bedroom brick rancher. Um, I, I mostly want to just mention this because there is no official Facebook or website um, the museum is really advertised by two hand-painted signs, one of them hanging from the mailbox and the other hanging from a uh, road sign um, out front in the garden. I love that kind of stuff. Roadside America. It, very much so. You, you're driving in the middle of the desert out here, and, and you'll find places like this where, uh, you know, they, they can be beautiful. Today, things have kind of moved to the, like, uh, you'll find it on Yelp anyway, or Foursquare, or places like that, um, where venues can be created by Mm -hmm. people rather than maintained by the person who owns the place. But I love just sort of stumbling on, like, hey, that sign seems interesting. Let's let's pull (laughs) off right here. About 1,500 people visit each year, Um, and I, this is on my list for whenever I'm on the East Coast traveling around to try and stop by here. Um, it, this article has some great pictures of some of the steins in the collection. So I would highly recommend going to the show notes, finding the uh, link and checking it out because it's really cool to see some of that stuff. Like just the, the history and you get an idea of how he's stacking these. And, and I mean, Stein, not. Yep. Will you be Stein locally or would you, would I'm, I can't, I can't think of anything. <laughs> You backed, you backed me into a corner here. <laughs> Nothing's coming to Stein. Do you think if, um, do you think they were used before? Would, would there be any Steins inside of the, the actual cups or? <laughs> it's so bad. I didn't even know what to say. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on here. All right, show notes are available at podcast.untap.com. And if you've got any questions for us, or you have better jokes than I do, please, 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 I want to see them. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at Untapped Everywhere. And if you could take a second to head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a nice little rating, uh, maybe even write a little review about what you thought, that would be truly appreciated. And we always want to know what you think, and those ratings help us rise in the charts so other people can find the show and listen to our terrible jokes. And if you've enjoyed the latest update to the Untapped app, we would also appreciate a rating and review on the Apple App Store over or over on Google Play. We would really, really appreciate it. Yes, please. Until next week. Cheers. cheers.